Let me ask you to take your Bibles. I'm going to be turning to Revelation in chapter 21. Revelation 21, uh, which just by the way does not mean that we can't look at uh, another passage earlier in the book before we would conclude this focus on the book of Revelation. It also doesn't mean that we're completely done, even though we are near the end for today. For today, we're near the end. Obviously, chapter 21 and 22, the end of the Bible, end of the book of Revelation. And then when you've got that, if you're physically able, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word this morning? I'm going to be reading Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Let me also be uh, very clear so there's no uh, whiplash or anything like that. This is a whole Bible sermon, and so I'll read these verses, and we will look at a theme in the whole of Scripture that brings us to this passage. John says in verse 1 of Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. I pray that you would hear that this morning. To the thirsty I will give. Verse 7, The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Let's pray together, and would you join me even in, in your way in silence and asking for the Lord's help. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would open your word to us. Thank you for this opportunity to see this passage, but also to see and to trace 
how this passage fulfills what we see throughout your entire word. So open your word to us. Help us not to have a, a puny God, but the God of the Bible. Help us to behold your God, as Isaiah says. And may we see Jesus Christ. We thank you that the Bible says that all the promises of God find their yes in him. And we pray that we would make much of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Help us in our weakness through the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Revelation 21, 1 through 8, as I've already said, the intention is not to go verse by verse, but instead let, uh, we will begin at the end. We'll begin at the end. Maybe you've heard that phrase before, that the end is in the beginning, and the beginning is in the end. That's true sometimes for like great novels and people like Tolkien or others who have crafted things in such a thoughtful way that the end is in the beginning, and the beginning is in the end. Well, today we want to begin in the end. And verse 8, from what I read, verse 8 said this, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, you notice that list? That's a sobering list, right? Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I wanted to direct our attention for just a second to that verse, Revelation 21.8, to say that it clearly says in context that these people, that is, those who are characterized by these things, praise God, you know, the Bible says about some of these types of things, it says, such were some of you, but you were washed through Jesus Christ. But, but in verse 8, those whose lives are characterized with no repentance, no true repentance by these things, they will not be in the place spoken of here in verses 1 through 8. Now, this is really simple, but I want you to get this. Those in that list in verse 8, they will not be in the place spoken of in verses 1 through 8. What is that place? Don't answer out loud, but did you notice what we were reading in verses 1 through 8? What is the place? Well, first of all, let me say that it is a, a physical reality. We, uh, we so often talk about hell and heaven, and that's fine. But if there's a problem with us talking about heaven so much, and there's not, it's that the Bible doesn't talk about heaven as much as it does verse 1, the new heaven and the new earth. In other words, it's actually even, it's even greater, it's even better than the way we tend to talk about. Another issue when we talk about heaven is we just think about something that's, listen to me, that's just totally spiritual. It's almost not real. It's just, it's just like floating in, in clouds. But when the Bible talks not only about heaven, but a new heaven and a new earth, it is a physical reality that has to do with resurrection. The place that is spoken of here is the new creation. I would say that you could even say Revelation 21, 1 through 8, chapters 21 and 22. This is the ultimate promised land. The ultimate problem, you've heard that phrase, right? We, you know that phrase, promised land. 
can refer to many different things. I say that Revelation 21 through 22, the ultimate promised land. Well, I want to look with you this morning at the Word of God. I love seeing what the whole Bible has to say about something. And so I have two headings and then two takeaways. Two takeaways preceded by two headings. The first heading is this, and it is Romans 4.13. Because we'll be looking at the Bible this morning, and not just this passage, we're going to have a lot on the screen, okay? Number one, heading number one, Romans 4.13. I want you to hear this. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Notice it one more time. The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Paul's talking about the nature of saving faith here. Not through the law, but it's through the righteousness of Christ. It is through and by the grace of God. Heading number one is Romans 4.13. Let me give you this heading and let me say it in a negative way. We cannot even understand the Bible the way we ought unless we see the significance of land. Of all things, that's what I want us to think about this morning. We've already mentioned the, the promised land. You cannot even understand the Bible the way that you ought unless you see the significance of land. So tonight we're uh, gathering on the lawn, and we're so grateful. It's been almost five years, and as I've said so many times, we were a transient church. Uh, meeting in the movie theater, meeting in the Christian school daycare, and meeting in the gymnasium, and, and then the Lord was kind to give us land. If you go up here and you take a left out of church and you turn on Tommy's Road and you see the sign, land for sale. And if you know anything about American history, you know the significance in our own country, the significance and the desire for, for what? For, for land. This land is your land. This land is my land. A brand new history book is called Land of Hope. Listen to this quote, and again, I want us to ultimately see how this Bible theme is fulfilled in Revelation 21 and 22. Listen to this. You cannot exaggerate how important the image of land was to the Old Testament mind and heart. Not only in reference to the promised land that was eventually attained, but also in the apocalyptic visions of the age to come. Next to God himself, the longing for land seems to dominate all others. Let me read that again, especially in the Old Testament. Next to God himself, the longing for land seems to dominate all others. Let me read to you a few passages from the book of Genesis. In just a moment, we'll notice Genesis 15 on the screen, but just listen to this. Just listen and hear how important 
Listen to the significance in the Bible of the promised land. In Genesis chapter 17, uh, verse 8, God says to Abraham, And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. That's the covenant of circumcision in Genesis chapter 17. I will give to you and your offspring the land of Canaan. How about Genesis 15? Genesis 15, I think we begin at verse 5. You can look at it on the screen. This is when he's still called Abram. The Lord speaks to Abram and he brought him outside and said, Abram, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. And as an example to us, verse 6, and he believed the Lord and he committed it or he counted it to him as righteousness. Through Jesus Christ, you too can be justified by faith alone. That's a very important verse. But notice verse 7, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to what? To give you this land to possess. Just want us to notice and just pause for a moment. We see here in the book of Genesis the significance in the Bible of the promised land such that we cannot even understand the Bible the way that we ought unless we understand the significance of land, of God's promise to the patriarchs, beginning with Abraham. I will give you this land. Listen to what Genesis 15, 18 says. Listen to this. This will not be on the screen. On that day, Genesis 15, 18 the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. That's very specific, right? We need to listen to the geographical specificity. Listen, the Lord made a covenant with Abram to your offspring. I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. What is that? Well, number one, as I just said, that's a specific piece of land. Not just talking about land in general. We're talking about a specific piece of land. We're talking about the promised land, the land of Canaan, right? What you might call Palestine or the land of Israel. But I want you to think about something. I want you to think about something here. The land was not the only part of the promise that God made to Abram, was it? He also said... You think about going to the beach and you pick up the handful of sand. Remember that? He also said, so shall your offspring be. Abram, if you can look up at the stars in the night sky, if you're able to count those night stars, which, nope, can't do it. If you're able to go to the shore and to pick up a handful of sand, if you're able to count the individual grains, nope, can't do it. God says to Abram, so shall your offspring be. So I just want to point out, just for a, just even right here at the at the Pretty much, pretty much the beginning of the Bible, if God tells him, if God is saying that your offspring will be innumerable, your offspring will be innumerable, well, we might think, well, is that piece of land, which compared to the whole world, is not a big piece of land. That specific piece of land promised to Abraham, which compared to the whole world is not that big, will that be able to... Hold the innumerable offspring. 
Turn to Psalm 37. I mentioned to you earlier to keep your place there. If not, that's fine, but I'd love for you to join me in Psalm 37. Number one heading, there's two of them, Romans 4.13. The significance of the promised land. The significance of land. We're building here, right? We're building. Cumulative. Psalm 37, this is important. This is heading number two. Heading number two, dear saints, dear friends. I guess it's also stated in the negative. Do not fret or be jealous or envious of wrongdoers. That's heading number two. Do not fret or be jealous or envious of wrongdoers. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, Psalm 37. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Rather, we might say, rather, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. Young people, everybody of all ages, of all ages, I guess my mind just goes to young people. We're going to have uh, recognize the graduates here at Crossway before too long, uh, probably in June. But as you're graduating, or if you're graduating from being 75, it doesn't matter. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. I want to read through verse 11. Verse 9. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. And though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Heading number two is, really, if you make it as simple as possible, is do not fret. And this is something that I'm not good at. This is something that many of us are not good at. You know, the Bible says in Philippians chapter four, you know, this passage, be anxious for what? Right, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. And here, uh, specifically, he's saying very much like, very much like Psalm 73. It's like a twin psalm. It's Cool, because the numbers are inverted. Uh, Psalm 73 and Psalm 37 go together. When you see the wicked and you see the evildoers prospering, you're tempted to be angry or to be jealous or to be envious. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to follow the Lord? And he says to us even today, he says to us even today, do not fret. Dear saint, my dear friend, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, do not fret yourself. Look at verse 22. 
Psalm 37. And now I want to really zero in. Psalm 37, 22. For those blessed by the Lord shall what? Shall inherit the land. Again, do you just see the significance? I'm just pointing out a few examples this morning. This is all over the Bible. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. Look at verse 29. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Well, how about verse 34? Wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. And you will look on when the wicked are cut off. Cut off from what? Cut off from the land. And then look again very quickly at what we've already read, which is verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. My dear friend, this is not number one on how to become a Christian. As far as doing good, I mean. But number one is trusting in the Lord. Believe in the Lord like Abram did. Look to Jesus Christ. Look to Christ and be saved. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. All of this comes back to the promised land. All of this comes back to Israel. Psalm 37 is probably against a backdrop where they're threatened. They're threatened, and you might, you might know this from the Bible, that Moses had told them your covenant faithfulness means you stay in the land. Covenant disobedience means you might be expelled from the land. Verse 9, For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And then if, if you notice no other verse which with as much focus, then look at verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Circle verse 11, underline verse 11. It's one among many, many, many examples of the significance of land in the Bible. The meek shall inherit the land. Matthew 5, 5 on the screen. This is what David read for us earlier. Jesus. Jesus, the one who died for us. The one who not only died on the cross in our place, but the one who lived the perfect life of righteousness, which we have not done. The one who rose from the dead. The one who ascended. The one who is coming. The one to whom every knee shall bow. The one to whom you must bow your knee today and, and be born again. Jesus, in Matthew 5, says this. Jesus, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in whom all of the promises of God find their yes. Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I didn't say that you could turn off your mind this morning. You got to think. Can I remind you very quickly of what Romans 4.13 said? The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. You remember that phrase? What does Jesus say here since he's borrowing from Psalm 37? 
Well, he does not say, right? He doesn't say, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. Psalm 37, talking about Canaan. What does he say? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What does that mean? We better know what that means. One of the Beatitudes, look at verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Look at the previous context, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness, you know, meek doesn't equal weak. Meek doesn't equal uh, for a man. It doesn't equal effeminate. Because Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is the preeminent example of meekness. How do you understand meekness? Well, you understand it by reading it in tandem with Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Or listen to this. I'm reading to you from Matthew 19, 28. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, listen, this is cool. Truly, I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. What is it to be meek? But many who are first will be last and the last first. Somebody has said that self-renunciation is the way actually to world dominion. Self-renunciation Meekness is actually the way to world dominion. Jesus said to them, in the new world, Matthew 28, 19, 28, in the new world, you're going to reign with me. Blessed, friends, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Heading number one, Romans 4.13, and we looked at the significance of land, particularly in Genesis, Genesis 12 Genesis 15, Genesis 17, heading number two, do not fret. Do not fret. Those who are blessed of the Lord inherit the land. Let me give you some takeaways here. As we are building, as I say, this cumulative case, one, the, one is the word inheritance. There's two words here. If you if you study the Bible about land, you see two words that are very important, and they are the words inheritance and rest. Inheritance and rest. Let me focus on rest, but first of all, let me quickly touch on the word inheritance. Colossians chapter 1. You can mark this down as a note for later or just listen. Colossians chapter 1. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The inheritance. What was the land? All over the Bible, the great significance of land, it was the inheritance. Colossians 1 says, we share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us 
from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. When the people of old were disobedient to the Lord, they were what? They were kicked out of the land. When Adam and Eve in the land, in the land, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, when they were disobedient to the Lord, they were what? They were kicked out of the land. They were exiled. The people of God were brought out of the land of Egypt and into the promised land. And in Colossians chapter 1, Paul says he's delivered us, not from Egypt this time, but from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He has given us too. He has given us an inheritance. But the word I want to focus on is rest. It is the word rest. I want to share something with you from a man named Chris Bruno. I want you to listen to this word picture that he gives. Maybe you're already thinking about, well, what is, okay, this is a lot. Jumping around, what does this have to do with Revelation 21 and 22? Well, that is the ultimate promised land. Imagine that it's the year 1900 and a young couple has a new baby boy. The man is full of gilded age optimism. So he tells his wife that he will work hard to build a successful business. 1900, they've got a new baby, gilded age optimism. He promises that he will buy his son the best carriage on the market and the finest breed of horses to pull it when the boy grows up and gets married. As the years go by, the father's business prospers, and as soon as he has more than enough money to keep his promise. Finally, in 1925, the son announces, I'm going to get married. So his father buys him a brand new Ford Model T. Did the father fail to keep his promise? In the year 1900, look at this precious baby boy. When he grows up, when he gets married, I'm going to buy him the finest horses and the finest carriage that you can imagine in this land, assuming my business prospers. His business did prosper. 25 years later, it's 19, there's vehicles, there's cars. Did the father fail to keep his promise? After all, he bought his son a car, not a carriage. But this does not mean, Bruno says, this does not mean he broke his word. He promised his son the finest means of transportation available. And that is exactly what he gave him. The actual fulfillment of the promise was far greater than he could have imagined in 1900. Do you see? That makes sense. Even though, listen, even though the nature of God's promises and their fulfillment is often beyond our greatest imagination, their essential nature stays the same. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, and if you look at it carefully, it's stunning. He was looking forward, Abraham was looking forward to the city, Hebrews 11.10, that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised Therefore, one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. 
These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, notice, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And I say again, if you read Hebrews eleven ten through 16 carefully and just, just thoughtfully, you see that even Abraham, even Abraham had his sight set on something. I, I said the word inheritance. Land is so important in the Old Testament. It was everything to them. Under God, it was everything to them. And these words are so inheritance and rest. Inheritance and rest. And in Hebrews 4, we see that Joshua did not give the people rest. No, no, instead, if you were to read Hebrews 4, what we see is that there was a need for one greater than Joshua. By the way, whose name happens to be from the name Joshua. If you think about this rest, they they were looking to the promised land. They were taken out of Egypt, taken into the land. Their inheritance, Colossians chapter 1. They were looking for the promised land of rest, and you and I need rest. You and I need true rest. And Hebrews 4, the Bible teaches, I've already mentioned Jesus' words, come to me, O labor and everything, I will give you rest. Hebrews 4 says, Joshua gave them rest. God fulfilled his promises to the people. The book of Joshua says, every one of his promises was fulfilled. But Joshua was not able to give them rest. Hebrews 4 talks about having assurance of your faith. Stop trying to work for salvation. Stop trying to earn your salvation. The rest of God through Jesus Christ. And so in one sense, in one sense, the land points us forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. We find our rest in Christ. We don't find our rest in Israel on their best day. Knew that the true rest was not totally equal to the land, but their true rest was God and in God's Christ. I think you even see hints of that in Psalm 37. What a joy to look at Psalm 37 briefly. In one sense, in one sense, the land that is so prominent in the Old Testament, you actually don't see the land talked about a whole lot in the New Testament. But we do see the Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned to you that example, the 1900, the 1925. I promised to get him a carriage and the best horses. He didn't do it. He got him the best car available. Well, what does that mean for Israel? I don't want to close today before I ask that question. I mentioned to you Genesis 15, 18. God promised to Abraham a specific geographical land. What does that mean for Israel? I was talking about this and some other things with an old mentor of mine, and he said that his conviction was that the ancient promises made to Israel can can still be fulfilled. He said, I don't know what that will look like exactly in the 
in the world to come, in the regeneration, as Jesus says literally in Matthew 19, 28, in the world to come, in the regeneration. My old mentor said, I don't know what exactly that will look like, but I don't necessarily see the New Testament absolutely doing away with the ancient promises to Abraham, to God's people Israel, what we can all agree on. And I don't think he's crazy for saying that, by the way. There's different views. I don't think he's crazy. What we can all agree on is this passage that we read earlier. Is that the ultimate fulfillment? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Abraham would be heir of the world. Revelation 21. This is the ultimate promised land. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is a physical reality. This is a place. This is the kingdom of God. This is Eden regained. Adam and Eve in a, in a place, in a land. Eden kicked out of the land. The whole Bible has been working towards regaining the land. And I saw the new heaven and the new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ends. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son, and of course, we've already zeroed in on verse 8. The focus is ultimately not on land. The focus is on the one through whom, the only one through whom, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect one, the righteous one, the sinner substitute, the one who has been raised from the dead. And through him, we have these great and wonderful and precious promises that we as believers today have an inheritance we enjoy the inheritance now. There is a down payment now through the Holy Spirit of our inheritance. But the best is yet to come. And it includes a physical new heaven and new earth. The sands of time are sinking. The dawn of heaven breaks. The summer morn I've sighed for. The fair sweet morn awakes. Dark, dark hath been the midnight. But day spring is at hand. And glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. The king there in his beauty without a veil is seen. It were a well-spent journey, though seven deaths lay between. The lamb with his fair army doth on Mount Zion stand. And glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. Let's pray together.
Lord, we thank you for this land that we see here at the end of the Bible. We thank you for creation regained, for Eden recovered and way better. Lord, we thank you for your promises. We cannot claim to know exactly how all will be fulfilled, but you have shown us so much. We know that your blessing, your eternal blessing is upon the meek. And we pray by grace that that would be us through our Lord Jesus Christ. May we worship you and may we study your word and may we live in light of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.